Hi, this is Ellie Fishman, and welcome to uh, MDCT Evaluation of the Spleen, Pearls, and Pitfalls. And this is part two, and we left off last time when I was about to discuss some of the benign splenic lesions. And let's start with cysts. Splenic cysts are indeed fairly common. Most of the cysts we see in practice are simply in the one centimeter range. They can be single, they can be multiple, they're of no consequence. Very much like liver cysts and renal cysts. Typically well-defined, water density, no enhancement. And here's just an example of a larger cyst. Now you can see from these images that cysts can become large and they become large, and this is not the largest you're gonna see, of course. They can have mass effects. So although they are benign, they can become problematic. There's no increased incidence of rupture with splenic cysts, but one would surely agree that if cysts are large enough with minor trauma, there's a better chance of rupture. But also if cysts are large enough, and you can see in this case, it presses on the stomach. So patients can have left upper quadrant fullness and potentially pain either because of stretching of the splenic capsule, mass effect on the stomach, or compression of the diaphragm. Occasionally, a large enough cyst will cause elevation of the left hemidiaphragm. So again, although we talk about this lesion being benign, and all it has characteristics of being benign, it can be a problem. Now I mentioned cysts most commonly as solitary, but they can be multiple. And sometimes they're multiple and they involve the entire pancreatic gland. It's funny, we think about polycystic kidney disease, we think about polycystic liver disease, and that's not all that uncommon, but multiple cysts in the spleen, particularly to this extent, is uncommon. I remember with older scanners, at times it was hard to tell if things were just low density or were they cysts, because if this was just low density and soft tissue, then you would think about lymphoma or some other infiltrating process. But cysts can indeed be multiple, so it's important to think about that. Uh, sometimes the cysts are multiple and they're very small, sometimes they're larger, or of mixed sizes, as in this case, but also you want to be able to recognize and not confuse this with other pathology. Now, could this be anything else? Could this be metastasis? Well, if you had METs, they would have some enhancing rim. And if you had so many metastases, isolated splenic metastases without liver or other disease is going to be incredibly unusual. So that's not going to be the case. When you talk about multiple splenic lesions, you would also talk about other things. Cysts, of course, we think about as number one, hemangiomas hamartomas occasionally, but not that many. Lymphoma can be multiple lesions. Remember, distribution of lymphoma in the spleen can range from diffuse infiltration to solitary masses to multiple masses. Metastases obviously can be multiple. Abscesses, particularly in patients who are immunosuppressed, can be multiple. And infarcts can be multiple as well, but usually wedge-shaped, sharply demarcated, it's gonna make life very easy. Now. Just to give you another differential, if I talked about cystic splenic lesions, again, cysts win the day. But you can have various cysts from epithelial cysts, epidermoid cysts. You can have old hematomas. You can have old post-traumatic cysts. You can have cystic change from an old infarct. Abscesses can be cystic. Lymphoma can at times be cystic. But it's typically cystic and necrotic. And similarly, metastases would have the same point. Another thing that can be cystic are pseudocysts related to pancreatitis. And we commonly would see this patients with repeated episodes of pancreatitis. Remember the hilum of the spleen, there's a bare area. 
and so where the uh, splenic artery and vein enter, it's very easy to fluid to track into the spleen, and then it has a subcapsular appearance, like this case. Patients with subcapsular pseudocysts, most of the time they will resolve on their own. Sometimes they will remain. But one thing that's very important is in patients with repeated pancreatitis, there are several splenic complications. More common to get splenic artery aneurysms, or more commonly pseudoaneurysms. But also, when you have these pseudocysts beneath the splenic capsule, it's more easy for the spleen to rupture. So there's an increased incidence with very minor trauma of splenic rupture. So very, very important. Another example here, a large subcapsular collection. Now, sometimes it's not just um, pseudocysts, but if a patient has trauma, one of the sequelas will be a subcapsular hematoma. Most of the time, just like in the liver, they resolve. Sometimes you will need intervention to uh, decrease them. Again, you can see in this case, and I'll show you a few more images, it does make the point, and you can imagine how this patient would be more prone to splenic rupture. Now, when we talk about multiple lesions, I mentioned hemangiomas. Now, hemangiomas in the spleen are not usually like hemangiomas of the liver. Occasionally, peripheral enhancement and filling in will occur, but that's rare. Most of the time, they're hypodense. They remain hypodense. Occasionally, they will become hyperdense. It's not uncommon to see calcifications, particularly punctate calcification. And depending when you scan the patient, they can be cystic or solid-looking. At the end of the day, it's the most common benign splenic tumor. And as I mentioned, single versus multiple. We can see numerous lesions in the spleen, which are hemangiomas, in patients with Klippel-Trenani-Weber syndrome, and that's sort of the classic. And I'll show you a few examples in a moment. And here's just a, a good example of early and late phase imaging. This are splenic hemangiomas that look like hepatic hemangiomas that fill in like hepatic hemangiomas. Not very difficult. Or another case of a splenic hemangioma, well, what else could this be? Hamartoma, that's a possibility. Metastasis, that's a possibility. It's kind of challenging because it's peripheral puddling but doesn't quite fill in sometimes. Now, in this case, the lesion which showed peripheral puddling did fill in over time, and so it was easy to make this a diagnosis of hemangioma. Now, if I show you two more images and say, this is the only image you have, what could you call this lesion if it was vascular? I think hemangioma is still the best bet. Hamartoma is a consideration, though those are better defined. Metastasis would be exceedingly rare. Primary tumor angiosarcoma is exceedingly rare, and the patient typically is sick, and the patient typically has a regular enhancement that has areas of necrosis and is, in fact, brighter. Another example, splenic hemangioma, one centimeter, very much like the ring-shaped hemangioma appearance we discussed previously. As I mentioned, sometimes it's hard. Here's a non-contrast scan. Spleen perhaps is a touch big. There's a lesion in the spleen, and you can see it on these two non-contrast scans. What could it be? Well, with contrast, you see a little bit of filling in. You see what appear to be septations, but it would be good. Here it is coronal. It would be good for hemangioma, perhaps good for hamartoma. In a patient without a history of malignancy, it's just not going to be a a malignancy, this doesn't appear to be how lymphoma would look potentially. That was a hemangioma. Or this case, patient has several low-density lesions in the spleen. Calcification is critical. When you see calcification, it puts you much closer to the diagnosis with confidence of splenic hemangioma. 
Again, just a very nice example, but you can see that at times it's difficult. Now the lesions don't necessarily look like cysts, they're not as water density as cysts, they're not as sharply marginated, so it can be a challenge. And here's an example of triple Trinani Weber. Um, you can see in this case there's multiple lesions present. Could these be abscesses? I guess with the right history, but in a patient with KTW disease, these are multiple hemangiomas. Okay, a few have calcifications, so again, very important to look at that. And of course, this is easy because the patient also had cystic lung disease with spontaneous pneumothoraces. So just a very, very easy diagnosis to make. And here's another one, vascular splenic lesions, vascular lesions diffusely, vascularity increased diffusely. Again, the history drives you to say these are hemangiomas. Now, if I didn't have a history of Clippel-Trinani Weber syndrome, I'm not sure exactly what I would be saying in this lesion. I would think about hemangiomas. I might ask more questions. Could this be lymphoma? But I don't know. The vascularity isn't. Typically, lymphomas are not vascular. So hemangiomas are the best diagnosis. The last thing I'll mention is hamartomas. Hamartomas are an important diagnosis because I think in many cases you can be specific, which usually prevents the patient from getting a splenectomy. They're rare, but they can occur at any age. It's an anomalous mix of splenic elements and congenital elements. It's usually solitary, but can be multiple. And it rarely is associated with tuberous sclerosis. When you think about the CT appearance, ISO or hypodense, most commonly hypodense or non-contrast CT, slow enhancement after IV contrast. It can look somewhat similar to hemangiomas. They're typically well-defined, and in my experience, they bulge outside of the spleen. So here's a good example. Non-contrast, hypodense lesion, almost with a capsule bulging out and pushing on the stomach. And then you can see with contrast, it's much better defined. Think about that case for a moment. And look at this case, arterial phase. There's some increased vascularity, but it's bulging outside the spleen. And you can see there's some vascularity nicely shown on the patient's uh, MIP imaging as well. And then when you give contrast, you can see the lesion becomes essentially isodense. Now, if you think about it, what splenic lesions behave like this, where it's this nice sort of mass which is bulging outside of the spleen? To me, that's when I think about hamartomas. And every time I've made that call, I'm usually correct. Maybe always correct with that regard. It's just not going to be malignancy or something else. Again, the enhancement pattern is a little bit variable. Sometimes they're hypodense. It's rare, in my experience, to see the lesions that are this vascular. Okay, let's look at some other things. What about malignancies? Now, at the end of the day, the most common primary malignancy would be lymphoma. When we see malignancy in the spleen, it's most common metastatic. Think melanoma, think lung cancer, think breast, think renal. And if you think about them, one could think perhaps about several types of tumors as really good landmarks for spread of disease. So we can talk about spread as hematogenous spread, maybe think melanoma, direct extension, think tumors of the pancreatic tail, think renal cell carcinoma, think colon. A couple of articles, this article by Thigabog, splenic metastasis can occur with a range of diseases, most common primary tumors include melanoma, breast, lung, ovary, stomach, and prostate. With ovary, ovary gives you carcinomatosis, you get implants. So in this case, you see implants on the stomach, 
you see implants on the liver, you see implants on the spleen. Sometimes, as in this example, the implants are really large, mainly exophytic, but they're sitting on the spleen proper. Sometimes they push into the spleen, and so what happens is that uh, you see the mass effect, it almost looks like an intrasplenic lesion, but it's really on the surface pushing in. So it can be a little bit tricky. Sometimes lesions are vascular. Then I'm thinking about renal cell, particularly clear cell, because clear cell is the most common thing to give you vascular metastasis. And these lesions can become isodense very quickly. But here's just some very, very nice examples. Now also, we talk about the spleen being involved by adjacent tumors. And so pancreatic cancer is the easy one, carcinoma tail of pancreas but also gastric cancer, particularly recurrent gastric cancer, and occasionally large renal tumors or retroperitoneal sarcomas. So in this case, large mass tail of pancreas, nothing very tricky, invading the spleen. Now, splenic involvement is not gonna make a patient unresectable with pancreatic cancer. The problem is, in this case, there's celiac involvement. That makes you unresectable. But when you have a distal carcinoma of the pancreatic tail, you're gonna get a splenectomy anyway, so it's not really gonna matter. So just some very nice examples of infiltration of the spleen by direct extension of tumor from the pancreas. And then here's an example of recurrent gastric cancer locally, postpartial gastrectomy. Tumor recurrence extends and involves the uh, spleen directly. It extends into the peritoneum directly. But again, here we're concerned about spread into the spleen. Just a very nice example. Now that leads us up to splenic infiltration. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Um, I know some people have to catch a bus. So why don't we stop here and let's come back after people get off the bus. Okay, see you in a few minutes.